Hi, loves. Welcome to another episode of AW Confidential. Recently, I received some messages with questions about my journey as an author. First of all, thank you to all those who are sending those awesome DMs. And second, my hope is that this episode helps inspire you and continue to push you towards your dreams, whatever those may be. A writer's journey is usually filled with rejection and uncertainty, but that is just the beginning of the challenges for a Latinx writer. According to 20, a 2023 Bloomberg article, the Government Accountability Office published a report in 2021 that showed 8% of people in publishing were Latino. A 2022 follow-up report showed 7% were writers, authors, and editors. So the numbers don't lie, and we have been mostly iced out of an already small community. But despite these roadblocks, we're seeing more of us gain traction across the industry. Today's guest is a Latinx writer, journalist, digital creator, and content strategist. She's had bylines in high-profile media outlets, such as, and I'm cutting this short, guys, Refinery29, Allure, Birdie, Oprah Magazine, InStyle Magazine, Travel and Leisure, and many others. Joanna, welcome. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so happy to be here. I, this podcast is dope. I'm, I'm here to be here, honestly. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. So I had to cut short your resume and my apologies, but girl, you get around. Congratulations. I mean, we don't see a lot of Latinx writers in the bylines and you have been on some major platforms. I appreciate that. I also appreciate that like you you really did research because I forgot I wrote for travel. <laughs> oh, that's right. That was about bomba curls. Ah. Yeah, it made it to the print. It was like a little, a little something, something. But like you know, when I see something in print, I'm excited. So, oh, uh, aren't we all, girl? Aren't we all? <laughs> <laughs> so I kind of fell into my writing career. Please don't hate me. Literally, I didn't have a plan, or I didn't set out to be like a writer. And people, you know, they asked me. They're like, "Oh, did you go to school school for journalism?" I was like, "No, no, that it wasn't." Like I didn't find my passion until later in life. And we both come from Latino households. I'm Dominican. Mm -hmm. Yay. Yes. And you know, one of the things that I heard growing up, it was like, literally it was beat. It was like, they beat it into my brain. You have to be a doctor or a lawyer. Mm. That was, kind of, those were your two choices. Did you, encounter that or just any pushback from family when you said okay i'm gonna go do you know whatever freelance writing or i'm gonna try and um you know take a crack at this did you get like heat for that i love when people ask me this question uh, because i feel like it's a really fun way to kind of introduce people to like my unique upbringing as a Dominican American kid, but also into the kind of parents I had growing up, I feel like your experience is typical of most Dominican kids who grew up in the States, who had, and is also very typical of any person of color or anyone who had immigrant parents. I'm a second generation Dominican American from Queens. 
My parents were born in the Dominican Republic. They both migrated to the U.S. and landed in Corona, Queens in the early 70s. My mom arrived here in, in 72. My dad got here in 1970. So as you know, there were numerous waves. There were numerous uh, migration waves from the DR to New York, um, starting from as early as the 1930s because of the Rafael Trujillo regime. But one of the biggest waves before like the early 1980s waves, which is a lot of the Dominicans that, that migrated uh, to the Heights and to the Bronx, was the wave between 1966 to 1978. So that's when my parents got here. And a lot of those Dominicans were settling in Corona, Queens. People be forgetting about this unless they're from Queens. <laughs> and so, you know, my parents came to this country relatively young. They were in junior high school. They actually went to the same junior high school, but they didn't meet. So they were like 17, 19. They're two years apart. Uh, they didn't grow up poor, but they also didn't grow up wealthy. Their parents were working class. Um, and even though they went back to the DR for college because they couldn't afford college here, my dad did dental school at NYU. Um, so in many ways, my parents are really American. Like they're New Yorkers. My parents are New Yorkers. So it's like you meet my parents and they talk to you in Spanish and you're like, oh, they just got here. <laughs> They speak to you in English and, and they sound just like me, like my parents are New Yorkers. So I think one of the privileges of that, which is something that I always related to with like my Puerto Rican friends, right? Is that because in many ways, my parents are American, Americanized, they allowed my siblings and I to pursue the careers that we wanted for ourselves versus the careers they might have wanted for us because they had the privilege of pursuing the careers that they wanted, right? Like my abuela was working long hours in the factory so that my dad could pursue a career as a dentist. You know, um, both my parents went to school. Both my parents got uh, their education. My dad obviously went farthest and he became a dentist, but my mom was a medical technologist for years before she she quit to be a stay-at-home mom. And so because of that, they were like, you know what? Like we did what we love and you're entitled to pursue whatever career you want. So I think that that really made the difference for me. Like they really kind of normalized that for me. Um, Cause I initially was a business major. I didn't know that's how my parents were for the record. <laughs> I didn't know. Cause they gave me so much shit in school. Right. It was like, at my it, the the it was always we went to school we went to college you have no excuse like <laughs> you can't come here like your friend doesn't want to go to college because their parents can't afford it that's not your situation like you need to be doing good in school so if anything it was a different kind of pressure that we experienced where it was like damn like when your dad's like a dentist like Dominican American, dark skin, like you're like, yo, I don't have any excuses. Like I gotta figure my shit out. So the expectations are different. The expectations are very different. I think like if anything, <laughs> if anything, my childhood trauma is that is like, <laughs> well, like how am I gonna like live up to my parents, right? Mm. But the cool thing is like I was always a writer. 
Um, my parents always knew I was a writer. I figured out I was a writer in elementary school because my teachers would make like would always point it out to me with like book reports or essays and they would point it out to my parents even though I don't think my parents really started believing I was a writer until I started writing them letters yeah girl because how do you explain, <laughs> like how do you verbalize to Dominican parents like oh I'm not doing that just because you said girls can't do that you know what I mean I didn't have that kind of language and so I started writing them letters like I, my mom said really young, like as soon as I really was writing in school, I started writing them letters whenever I would get in trouble. And whenever I felt that they were being really unfair about the discipline and I didn't have, I couldn't articulate it verbally. So I would write them letters and I would, I would basically have like my points. I would be like, I got in trouble for the following. This is why I don't think the punishment matched the crime. You know what I'm saying? So I think that's when my parents started realizing it. I, I wrote a lot of poetry too. I was really into poetry. I would write, you know, little fiction stories in my notebook. So they weren't really surprised when I came home one day and I was like, I was a business major. I wanted to go into advertising and like be a copywriter, but I was like bored. I wasn't like inspired. Um, I just wasn't like feeling it. So I came home one day and I was like, there's a journalism program at Baruch um, and all my professors are telling me that I should switch over. So I'm switching over. Like, I remember, like, this is oh, such a, like, child thing, too, because I didn't ask for permission. That was, that was my, yeah, that's exactly I I what I was thinking. Did it. I think I had already did it. And I was like, so that's it. I'm going to be a journalism major. So I hope you're, like, okay with it. And I just remember them being like, that makes sense. That makes so wow. much sense. You should totally pursue journalism or whatever. And I was like, so it like, you know, I didn't really like, it was hard to doubt that I could do it. Even mm -hmm. though there was a part of me that was like, they don't know what the fuck they're talking about. Like they're science people. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, they, don't, they have no idea like what it takes to go into media. Like, are they being delusional for me? So- but so what so did you already have some like reservations in the back of your mind thinking maybe you you know it would be a tough um industry to break into or because it, it almost sounds like you had a little bit of doubt as far as you know going into it it was weird so like in terms of having my own reservations like about pursuing a career as a writer, like particularly in media, I don't think I had reservations per se. Like, I'm gonna be honest. I think the second I realized, cause you know, before I switched majors, I think I was already writing for the school paper. I was like an art contributing, like art critic, right? Because, and this explains a lot about me. There was like staff at the school paper and they were stuck up, right? Like they they were just like stuck up. Most of them were not, I mean, there were some kids of color in there. I went to CUNY, I went to Baruch, but like even the even the the POCs that were in the school paper, everybody was like really entitled. Everybody was acting like we were at NYU or Columbia. And I was like, you know what? 
I'm a, like, there was a process to like, you know, be a, be an editor at the school paper. I was like, I wasn't officially a journalism major e either. So I was contributing. And so in contributing, I did uh, mostly like art reviews. That's what I wanted to be. That's why now that I do so much with music, I feel like oh, my, wow. my college self is really like healing. Cause I initially wanted to, to do that. Like I would review concerts. I would review albums, art galleries, theater. But my main thing was like music. And so like the fire that would light in me while, cause like writing is funny. Like I think people think that writers are just happy once we put it out. No, it's like writing for me is kind of like life. It is a roller coaster, right? There are moments of inspiration where you find the words that you want to say. You're in the flow. You're in the flow, right? But then before you get in the flow, I always say once you're in the flow, you're good. Before you get in the flow and you're trying to figure out like how you want to angle it, where you're going to start, that shit is hard. Sometimes that shit is like- It's painful. I say painful, it's painful. <laughs> painful, right? But once you're in the flow, there's something that happens. And I feel like there's just like a fire that like lights within you. You know it. You oh my God, I love I'm seeing I it. I love face. it. <laughs> I'm seeing it in your face. It's like it's like orgasmic, right? Like that's the only yes. I say it all the time. It's literally I think writing is better than sex for <gasps> me. Okay. I don't know about that. Maybe I haven't had the sex <laughs> that you had, but for me, like nothing has ever <laughs> you're like so cracking. You're like this poor girl. Um, I me, love I, it. For me, nothing has ever come close to that. So I think that once I was able to tap into that, and then once I was able to figure out uh, my purpose, because first it was like, you, I want to be a writer. And then when I realized, uh, when I, I, I have gotten discouraged, I didn't have reservations. I was scared. There was fear. I was like, everybody in media is white right? The women in media, they're all white. The magazines are all white. The people on the bylines are white. The stories are about white people. So I think there was fear, but I, I had a really great professor who recently passed away, unfortunately, Professor Michelle Marriott, who's Black. And he used to tell me, don't get discouraged. Don't get upset. Get into the field so that you can make the difference. So that's when I started operating from like a purpose driven place. And I was like, you know, I, I was going to go into music journalism and I was like incredibly discouraged. Um, there also wasn't a lot of places to go. Right. It was like Rolling Stone. There was Spin Magazine. And like, you know, I was naive. So I interviewed at a whole I interned at a whole bunch of teeny tiny art and like music magazines that like no longer exist that you could pick up on the street for free. Cause I, I was very alternative. I was very indie. I was like, I'm, I'm not working at Rolling Stone. I'm gonna work at Beyond Race, which does not exist anymore and was problematic on so many levels. But um, once I realized, you know what, maybe I could make a difference. I don't know where it's gonna be, if it's gonna be like, at a women's magazine or whatever. But once my focus was like on representation, there were no reservations. It was really more, it was really more about me understanding that the journey was gonna come with struggle.
I had to just come to terms with that. And I think that that's something anybody who wants to lean into their purpose, who wants to live a purpose-driven life, who wants to tap into their gifts, who wants to tap into creativity, because I really do believe that every single human being on this planet has gifts. I don't care what your IQ is. I don't care what your level of, of education is. And every human being has the ability to create, right? It's just societal things get in the way, right? And life sometimes gets in the way. And I do think it is a privilege to be able to pursue a career that's driven by purpose and creativity. But what I think we don't talk enough about, um, and I'm always reminding Gen Zers, who, by the way, are amazing in so many ways, but I think one of the messages that Gen Zers seem to lose sight of is that if you're going to go after your dreams, it is not going to be easy. Do not expect this. Or that overnight success story. That's like so... I don't know. I, I wouldn't even say it's 1%. Like for you to, you know, go from zero to a hundred in a matter of, you know, hours, days, nights, weeks, months, you're, I don't know. That's like luck. Naciste con estrella because that's just not the journey. Like it's, it's hard work. And I think one of the issues that I've had is that people look at the success. They, you know, they have this perception that it happened overnight, but you're not really thinking about all the work that has been done before you, you know, you even get to see that success. There's a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of grunt work behind it. A hundred percent. And I'm, and, and I'm wondering about this. So, you know, we were talking, in the beginning, I mentioned about um, the numbers. Statistics, I believe, tell a story. That's why we use them. So you've had this incredibly successful career. And when I look at, you know, all the, your bylines, I'm like, how? Like, I, it's just like, it's not that it's unheard of, but it's, it's such a huge win. And not just for you, but for those writers that come behind you. So I'm wondering you know, you definitely had to have encountered barriers. There's no way I believe that there were no barriers. So as an insider working in the industry, what what hurdles have you faced or have you seen other Latinas or Latinos face? Because I'm sure there's been um, many of those as people try and find as writers, try, not even just writers, writers, editors, um, you know, journalists try to find their place in this, I don't know, very small world that is publishing. So in terms of the the obstacles and the hurdles, um, they still exist. Um, mm. So I have, I have a long answer for this. <laughs> okay. They still, they still exist. So, okay. So first off, for both industries, right? Because I know we're talking about media and publishing right. and they're different, right? Um, for both industries, at least within the context of living in the US, right? Because I don't know what media looks like if you live in Mexico sure. or live in Dominican Republic. Both of those industries were not created with us in mind. 
So we need to start there. They were not created for us. They were not created to include us. So we need to start there. The majority of the media that most of us consumed, even as people of color, um, were not portraying stories about people like us. That, that didn't exist. And so that was precisely the problem. I think that, that that's why you see the representation that you see today, because it didn't exist. So many of us were like, yo, so let's do something about that. But it hasn't been easy. And I think that if you if you don't work in media, if you haven't worked in media, if you haven't worked in publishing, if you haven't worked in television or film and Hollywood, even in the music industry, right? If you haven't worked in these industries and these white male dominated industries that yes, they have diversified over the years, but they're still owned by white men you don't understand how gatekeeping works and gatekeeping is a thing. And, you know, for me, like, you know, I am, I'm so, I'm so honored. I don't want to use the word flat, flat, um, flattered. I don't really like that word. I'm, I'm so honored and I'm so grateful for what, for the way that you just described my success, because I, I think that there is no, one way to define success. And I'm definitely someone who's only started considering myself successful in like the past year, if I'm being really honest. And that's taken a lot of, that's taken a lot of, you know, inner work and a lot of spiritual work, just because, you know, I think a lot of us that work in these industries, we get in there, right? First of all, getting in there to begin with is hard. Right. And and that's why I started working in Latin niche media before I went into corporate media, because I was not finding the opportunities. I wasn't. I was like beyond like, oh, they're not letting me publish stories about Latinx. I was not getting jobs. Right. Because I was competing with white people who went to NYU and who went to Columbia. And like I'm a Dominican kid who went to CUNY, who went to Baruch that's not even known for journalism, I, I wasn't given the same guidance that some people are given. So I didn't even know where to intern. I, I was like figuring it out, right? So, you know, my parents are not from this world either. You know, my my parents don't know corporate people. Like my parent, my dad knows dentists in private practice and that's it. You know what I mean? And, and medical professionals and nurses and stuff like that. So I didn't really have a leg up. <laughs> I was just trying to figure it out. And I saw an opportunity going into Latin media because even though they weren't necessarily the stories that I wanted to tell, they were at least acknowledging us, you know? And that's why I never shit on, on like, you know, how Latin media, what, like a lot of people like to say like, oh, remember that outlet? They used to, they used to post shit like, you know, how to get JLo's highlights or, things like that. That's the only thing we were getting the green light for. That's what people don't understand. That's the, the only kind of stories that we were getting the green light for. So any, any opportunity we had to showcase our people, our celebrities, or, you know, like, you, I think every Latina journalist at some point has probably written a story about hoop earrings. Right, I get it. If you publish it, I haven't, but I've written about curly hair. <laughs> you want to curly hair if you have curly hair, right? 
like when people say like why are people still publishing that first of all it still matters there there are still people in this country that are in jobs where they get shit for wearing their hair natural or maybe they're not getting shit for wearing their hair natural because of the crown act but they're getting shit for wearing hoop earrings or for speaking a certain way right so it is relevant but it was even more relevant when i went into into my career and so these stories were important you know and they were what we were allowed to write so that's why i initially went in through beauty because i was i was writing about hair and i was writing about complexion because i i was like okay here's an opportunity to write about stories that you know not only like address the issues that we experience as latina women as brown women as Afro-Latina women, but also I'm allowed to write. Ain't nobody giving me shit. Cause, and it would start as like, maybe it was like, you know, uh, curly hair products, or maybe it was like an essay about my curly hair. Like it was gradual. And then it went into like, let's talk about pelo model. Like, let's talk about like hair discrimination or whatever. So I think a lot of us went into these industries, we get our foot in the door and we have our vision. Like anytime I've gone through an interview process, I'm already mapping out my vision, for, especially in a leadership position. One, because I wanna know if I'm operating from a purpose-driven place, is this job aligned with the kind of work that I wanna be doing and the kind of impact that I wanna create? Is this job going to allow me to do that while I'm there? But also, like, I need to be able to communicate what my vision is through the interview process. So I usually always map out a vision during the interview process, like, before I even get hired. And, you know, oftentimes I'm told, like, I, people are excited and they're like, yeah. And then you get the job and then you realize, damn, there's a lot of barriers that you got to get through to be able to to, to uh, execute the vision that you have, right? And so I think a lot of us are doing what we can with the resources that we're given in publishing or in media. And, you know, do we have a long way to go? Absolutely, huh. across the board, across industries, not even just in media and publishing or TV and film. But I do think that sometimes we need to take a second to acknowledge how far we've come. You know, I think it's so cool when I have family members or friends that are not in my professional worlds that are like, yo, did you see this article about, yeah, that's my homegirl. Actually, my homegirl wrote that. That's so cool. Or did you see like, you know how many of my family members like have either like asked or gone to the Miss Riso salon or like we're buying the products and they're like, Joe, that's your friend? Yeah, Carolina's my friend. So it's like, it's really cool to see how because of that lack of representation, we either went and took these media jobs or publishing jobs to create that representation or we created it on our own because we couldn't do it in media. There's so many entrepreneurs that just came up with their own platforms. Yeah, present company included. Um, <laughs> yeah, you one of them, girl. So I'm going to ask you a question. There is, you can choose not to answer. Sure. There is a lot of competition 
even among us Latinos, there's a lot of competition. And I'm curious, do you feel that you have received, I don't want to say good enough support, but any support from fellow, fellow, you know, colleagues that are Latinas or um, just people in the industry that are Latino? I'm going to be really honest. Always. <laughs> I don't, I don't know if you're, if I don't think you're going to expect what I'm going to say, but I'm going to be. <laughs> oh, oh, wait. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't, I'm, I'm going to be really honest. That doesn't really resonate with me. What do you mean? I feel, you know, have there been people, other Latinas in, in my professional circles that haven't been uh, you know, supportive or maybe have been competitive, sure. But it's so rare that I don't even have a particular person that comes to mind. I would really have to probably like smoke a joint and meditate to remember, like to be really honest. I am where I am professionally because of the tremendous support I have received from other Latinas in media. Yay, yes. I love yes. that, I love that. Absolutely, I am where I am today because I've always been recommended for jobs. And oh, I, I, got, I got goosebumps right now, I love that. No, I'm, I'm actually excited with this question because I think that we focus, you know, does, are there a lot of things that we need to improve in this community? Of course, absolutely. But, you know, the love and the support is there, like, Across the board, not even just Latinas, like Latinas in general, like I, I've received a lot of support from Latino men too. Like we really show up for each other. We go to all of each other's events, even after a long workday, we show up on each other's podcast, right? Because we believe in each other. We recommend each other for jobs. We recommend each other for opportunities. We hire each other when we can. I love that. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think that there's something really beautiful about the Latina community when it comes to showing up for each other as a community. And I think that if you don't work in media, it could look like it's a competition, but most of us are friends. I'm friends with Raquel and Somos. I like, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure it's probably not like best practice, but I totally be sharing stuff from the Somos IG in my stories because it's <laughs> great content, you know? I I'm mean, Raquel, I'm friends with the Somos girls. I love that team. I've just met I, one of them from, in person. I know Brenda. Um, I know everybody at Jere Mezcla. I'm friends with Tatiana Diaz. Um, I know Alma, like we're actually all friends. We're each other's like biggest cheerleaders. And I think that's made a difference. I love that because I think sometimes, you know, and, and it could be, it could be really divisive when, you know, you sort of focus on those that, on those situations where you don't have that support but to know that you've had such a beautiful experience I love it and those are the things that we should be celebrating instead of focusing on all the ways that we could 
be divided. I mean, the world alone, there's plenty of things that can divide us right now. So just knowing that you have that support, I love it. I absolutely think it's um what we need more of. So thank you very much for sharing that. Um, I feel like we're all like comadres and a lot of my close friends I've met through the industry and they're not even all necessarily journalists or editors. Some of them are entrepreneurs that I've profiled. A lot of them are publicists. It's just, we're, we're like in this together. You know what I mean? Like I can't even do my job if there's not Latina publicists, you know what I mean? Like we're really, we look out for each other. We support each other. And I really think that that's part of the reason why we we've been able to, you know, play a role in changing what representation looks like for our communities. And and like you said, I I have to say that when I started like the platform, a lot of the opportunities came from, you know, PR P, Latinos and PR who were like, hey, I have this talent, you know, I know I noticed you have a platform and you're really, you know, amazing can we work together? I was like, absolutely. And from there, there was another lead and another lead and another lead. And, you know, I've been, I, I feel blessed. I am grateful every day. And, you know, it's one of the reasons why I want to highlight, you know, my Latinos on the platform. I think it's important that we celebrate each other, especially women. I I, I know there are a lot of supportive men out there. I'm not saying, I'm not saying there aren't, but I think especially women, because, you know, we're perceived as like we're always in competition. And that's just not true. It is really not like I feel like that was like our mom and our abuelita's generation. I feel like this generation is like, fuck that. Like nobody got tired. Nobody got time for that. I really feel like, again, like, I'm sure it exists. I, it I does. Know, it I does. It Absolutely. It I've, does. Seen, I've seen instances of it. I've experienced it. But like I said, I can't even think of a particular person or even. Well, that just means it's not, yeah. it's not in your, you know, macrocosm. It's like um, the people that you do have around have positive vibes, have that, you know, that energy that, that honestly you give what is it they say um you get what you give out or something like that yeah so whatever you put out there you're it's obviously you know obvious that you're getting back and you're a true inspiration not just to me but to many and it's so amazing to see like you know latinos names on the byline so congratulations on like the work that you're doing just to highlight the culture and um and just you know, you, you make us proud. You make us proud. One of the things that I love to do towards of towards the end of every interview is ask the guests to give a quote, a mantra, a piece of advice to inspire listeners. And I think there, there are going to be a lot of listeners that are going to, um, there's just so much that you've shared that we can resonate with. So for... I appreciate you. So for anyone looking to get their foot in the door as a writer, as a a journalist, as whether it's into, you know, I think any industry, um, because I think there's some basic steps to Mm -hmm. every, to the beginning of any journey, um, especially creators. Oh my gosh. Um, What are, (laughs) 
what uh, there's like a there's real love there but there's also a lot of pain with it i just have to say (laughs) we need to keep it real about that so what are your two top tips like there's there i'm sure there's a lot of them that you can offer us today just to get someone started like i said it doesn't have to be strictly for those writers but just to get started on your dream, like what, or your passion, your purpose, what would you share? So, um, don't kill me, but there's two parts. To, to oh, <laughs> here we go. I'm a talker, okay. guys. I'm a talker. So I'm a very spiritual person. So I, I think that the mindset, I can't give you the practical career advice without helping you shift your mindset. And I'm personally a big believer in the law of attraction and in manifestation. I believe that the mind is incredibly powerful. I believe that, you know, with our minds alone, we can harm or heal ourselves, right? The choice is really ours. So I love a lot of the wisdom that scientist, author, and public speaker, uh, Dr. Joe Dispenza shares on the mysteries of the quantum fields and the laws of attraction. And so the mantra that I often repeat to myself, especially in the mornings, I get really bad morning anxiety. Anybody that knows me knows that I I struggle with anxiety. But one of the things that kind of helps quiet my mind when I get up in the morning is this, this mantra that he's always saying. And it's that your personality creates your personal reality. And I love it because I've seen how thinking this way has allowed me to manifest the things that I want in this life. I think that if you focus your your thoughts on the person that you want to be and the life that you want to live rather than focusing them on negative self-thoughts or limiting beliefs or comparing or what you don't have or what you don't have or comparing yourself to other people, um, that's what you're going to manifest into your reality. That's going to become your actual reality, right? So this is, you know, I think this is really important Um, and like, I genuinely believe like, you know, I'll give you a hypothetical. I genuinely believe that one day I'm going to publish a book and I, I think it will be successful in its own right. Success does not need to, to mean best New York times bestseller, but it will be successful in its own right. And it will happen not magically for the manifestation haters, um, not magically, but it would eventually be happen because I'm convinced that I'm meant to write a book. I, I believe it. I've been telling myself that for a while. And so now I believe it. And so the inspiration is coming and I believe that the story I want to share matters. And because I believe it and I'm subscribed to it, it, it will push and motivate me to actually write that book and that will become my, my reality. And so that's how I try to operate in my life. So that's the first piece of advice, honestly, is to believe in yourself, take a chance in yourself, uh, you know, believe that you have a gift, believe that you have the ability to be creative, believe that the story that you have to share is important. You know, if you are an Afro-Latina, a Dominican from Queens, just like me with curly hair, just like me, just because I'm here doesn't mean that there's not room for you, right? Every individual has a different story to tell. Now, in terms of of actually getting into the writing business and to media very specifically, um, I think that we're living in a time, and this was not the case when I graduated college, 
uh, where we're fortunate that there's many ways to storytell and there's many ways to get your stories out there. Um, podcasting is one way. TikTok is another way. Um, Instagram is another way. Uh, creating your own newsletter is one way. Um, but I notice a lot of people have a hard time like starting, right? Like I know a lot of people that tell me like, I think I'm a writer, but I'm not sure. And I'm always like, okay, there's a reason why you think you're a writer, right? Do you ever write anything? And these are usually people that tell me I journal a lot. Okay. What comes up when you're journaling? And they'll tell me, I don't know. I, I, I feel like, you know, it's when I, I, um, I'm able to process things and I get ideas when I'm journaling. And I, I feel, you know, that fire inside me that I was mentioning earlier. And I'm like, yeah, because that's what writing is about. Just write. I tell people all the time, start with journaling. There's a reason why journaling has been so embraced and praised in recent years when it comes to like mental health, but also when it comes to manifestation because it allows us like I was telling you when I was a kid I used to write my parents letters it allows us to process and sit with our thoughts and then it allows us to expand on our thoughts and expand on ideas so when you journal or you just write something down creativity can spark so you had an argument with your mom about your weight right you journal it, that might inspire a personal essay about how you've had to set boundaries with your family when it comes to critiquing your weight as a Latina woman, right? That might inspire you to come up with the podcast. That might inspire you to start a newsletter. I know someone who, I, I know someone in the industry who is living in Europe right now. I don't know how long she plans on staying out there. And she came out with a really cool newsletter. And I don't think she used to identify as a writer. And she's just documenting her experience living this kind of like nomadic life. And there's always going to be people that are interested. So I say to just write um, and, and just allow yourself to see where that can take you. And then when it comes to media, very specifically, um, Think about where you want to write, you know, if if you want to write for Refinery29 or you want to write for Pop Sugar, like start reading the content, start paying attention to the kind of stories that they publish for one, and then figure out, okay, do I have a story that, you know, that, you know, that platform's audience might be interested in? And then start crafting the pitch. I, I actually feel like I wanna like teach a workshop on, on pitching because, you know, I get so many pitches, Yvette. I'm talk, I mean, my email is a two hour process. <laughs> I get DMs, <clears throat> I get WhatsApp messages, I get text messages, de todo. And, you know, I, I could never get to all of them, but the ones that make it to me, it's because I don't have to do work when I receive those pitches. You know what I'm saying? Like, and even with writers that write for me, I like, I tell them, I get kind of frustrated when I get a text on a Sunday that's like, yo, you think I could write about this? And I'm like, it's Sunday. 
<laughs> I don't want to use my brain in this kind of way. This is your job as a writer. And it's, I remind people all the time, even though every outlet has a different process, for the most part in digital media, we're all asking for the same thing. Give me a headline so that I can see how this is going to be framed, right? And your headline should be able to kind of, if not sum up, but at least give the reader, allow the reader to gauge what the overall story is going to be, right? Give me a headline, preferably three, three headline options. And then break down your angle for me in two to three sentences. That's why we say, give me the story in, in a nutshell, because we want it in a nutshell, quick. Is it that elevator pitch? It kind of is an elevator <laughs> pitch because if it's taking more than five seconds, <laughs> you haven't really figured out the angle. And if yeah. I'm not clear what it is, and if I need to, I mean, I've gotten pitches where like, I love the writer or I like, I can tell I know where they're going. So I'll pause and then I'll brainstorm and I'll see, has it been done? How can it be done? you know, I'll look up the stats or whatever. And then 30 minutes go by and I'm like, no, I can't, I can't do this. Like I, I have, you know, I can't, I can't do this. Like I have so many things I have to do in my job. So I'll go back to the writer and I'm like, flesh this out for me. Give me a headline. Give me three to four sentences explaining what the core essence of this story is going to be. Tell me what the format is. Is this an opinion piece? Is this and a I essay? And I think the other thing to remember is, and you made a good point, you guys get, I don't know, I, don't, I can't even imagine how many emails and messages you get I per get day. I get so much anxiety. Like, I'm graceful <laughs> about it because, like, at the end of the day, everybody's intentions are good. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm I'm honored that people want their stories on Pop Sugar. I'm honored that, you know, people uh, respect the kind of content that I'm, pu I'm publishing, but I, I also need people to have some grace with me because I mean, I, I don't even always see them. And even if I do, like, this is another uh, thing that writers should know when they're pitching. Um, try to understand that like media companies have budgets, you know? So like, if there isn't budget, maybe if there was budget, I could have published your story, but because there isn't, I can't, or maybe there is some budget, but that budget is very specific. Like it's for, we have themes, you know, and most media outlets, especially like lifestyle related outlets, we have monthly themes. And so I have to prioritize the stories that fit under, you know, uh, my themes before I assign things that are not. And also like, if you pitch me something that's timely, right? Like maybe you got an opinion piece about something that, you know, went down with the celebrity, you got to pitch me that shit like right away. And you have to be able to turn it around in a day or two um, so that we can get it up in a timely manner when people still care. And you remember guys, no email blast, please. Oh my God. <laughs> Those templates. <laughs> like... That does not work. I mean, like, especially <laughs> for pitching, like every outlet is different. Um, so yeah, that would be my, my biggest advice. If you're not writing at all, but you're interested in it, you probably are a writer and, you know, you're probably going through some degree of imposter syndrome. That's okay. Just get, like start with journaling and, and see where it takes you. 
if you are a writer and you are ready to freelance and contribute to outlets, or maybe you even, maybe you want a staff job, but like, you know, you haven't gotten the opportunity, freelance at the place that you want to work at. That's, you know, that's how a lot of people get hired because, you know, they contributed as a freelancer. And so it's like, it's actually easier to hire people that way because sure. we've already worked with you. We know your work ethic. You understand the outlet's voice. You know, I know what your writing style is. I know how quickly you can turn things around. I know whether or not you're a good um, self-editor. I know I can trust you with celebrity interviews and you ain't going to have me out here looking crazy in these streets with my contacts. Yeah, oh, I'm coming in. Can I get a feature? <laughs> no, you got to earn it. Uh <laughs> it's a process. It's yeah, a process. Absolutely. So again, I don't hear if there's, you know, if there's negative, if people say negative things about editors in media, they're not saying it to me obviously right so I, I don't know for all I know maybe it's not really happening but if it is happening it's because people are not understanding that there's a process you know there's a process Joanna you are like a little book of knowledge thank you so so much for being here thank I'm, you I'm I have no doubt that listeners will find all of this information, not only educational and just informative, but it's gonna help them on their journey. So thank you, thank you, thank you. I know your calendar is bananas. Um, can you just share with That's our the listeners? the best use of my time, honestly. Aw, thank you. Yeah, this really well, was. You're invited back whenever you want. <laughs> oh my God, I would totally come back. It's just but we'll, ha okay. we'll have to talk about something more interesting. I could also, I feel like I got, I, forget me. I feel like I got a lot of great women you should have on the podcast that would totally. We gotta, we yeah. gotta talk. We gotta talk. Yeah. Um, but before I forget, I don't want to forget, please uh, share with our listeners how they can find you. Yes. You, I think the best way to find me is on Instagram. My handle is cup underscore of underscore johanna j-o-h-a-n-n-a -N -N -A. that's the we best find, we we need we need to find you an easier name you know that right <laughs> well it's only <laughs> the underscores the underscores are, I, I noticed somebody had it somebody had it i know but i love cup of johanna i think if i come out with no the, i love it but if yeah. you don't know the underscores can throw anyone off no the underscores be messing us up out here yeah it's annoying and um do you have a website or or just instagram that's the best one I have a professional website that's not updated. Okay. So, so I, I definitely, I definitely send people to Instagram because I, everything that's updated is there. Yeah, I, I share things with my job. I, I share other projects that I'm working on. I highlight people. It's all there. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. This was so much fun. Thank you. And thank you, loves, for joining us on another episode of AW Confidential. Talk to you soon. Bye.